I wonder if we really realize what that means to have God living with us. Father, I ask that in my weakness you would be strong. The subject before us this morning is so immense, so important, so beyond what the human mind is even able and capable of really taking in. I ask that you would be present, that the Holy Spirit would give us, give me power to be able to speak your word in clarity. And above all, that our lives as a result of having a fresh glimpse of Jesus, that our lives might be changed. And if any are here that have not given their hearts to him, I pray that you would work Holy Spirit in them, bring about conviction so that they would see their need of a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Simon read us the verses from Luke chapter 20, <clears throat> and I'll just give you a brief overview. In this parable, which I would almost question if it is a parable because it was so true, the story is that God sent three servants into his field to gather to receive the fruit of the vine. He sent the servant And he would give them, give him some of the fruit of the vine. He sent another servant. And they beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And the third, they wounded him and threw him out. And this is only conjecture on my part. But I believe this is a picture of Israel and their history. God chose a people for himself. And they became known as the children of Israel. And God's main purpose in making mankind was in order that he would be able to communicate with us and that we would communicate and love God. And in Israel's history, he sent them the prophets, he sent them priests, and he sent them kings. And they were thrown out. Many of the prophets were stoned. And I believe this is a story that Jesus is relating to his own people, the Jews. And then God says, I will send my own son. And when they saw him, they said, here's the son. Here's the heir. Let's kill him. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew he had spoken this parable against them. But here we have the feelings of the heart of God time and time again. You have sat under the sound of the gospel message. Have you decided yet to receive Jesus? Are you postponing it? You see, God wants to communicate with each and every one of us. Why? Because He loves us and He wants us to come. And to hear what he has to say. 
greatest thing that has ever happened is the fact that God sent His Son. We'll have a look at that today. God sent His Son, and the holy angels declared His coming. From Luke 1, the angel answered and said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One that is to be born will be called the Son of God. It's interesting that the heavenly hosts were involved in this. I don't want to say much because the message that I believe that I have for Christmas Sunday will go into this in a little bit more detail. But here we have the angels declaring the birth of the Son of God and this holy thing that will be born of you, Mary. His name shall be the Son of God. When you look at Luke's gospel and you go to the genealogies of Jesus, this is the genealogy of Mary, and it goes back in time from his birth, backwards. And the last verse here says, <clears throat> this is the tail end of the genealogy, he was of the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. Clear indication that this Son of God pre-existed creation. Why then did God send this one? I think that's a question we need to have a look at. And what was necessary for this? So this child who was to be born was the Son of God before creation. And Micah says his origin is from of old, from the ancient of days. That's why I say, I wonder how I can speak on this. Because this was God's plan before the creation of the world. It goes beyond our minds. We tend to put God in a box. But God knew before the creation of time of, that the hum human race would turn against him and refuse him. And as a result, would be burdened with sin. And the whole human race from that point on would be plagued by sin. God, knowing that from before time, planned to send his only son. And why his only son? Apostle John makes the statement, in him, that is in Jesus, is no sin. Peter said he committed no sin. And Paul says he knew no sin. There are those that are going about today trying to prove the fact that Jesus could have sinned. If you try and do that, you've disproved the fact that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes him unique. He is the Son of God. Not from this earth. He says, I was born from above, not from beneath like you are. This one that God sent is unique to the whole universe. That God himself could become a man. How does that work? I don't know. I can't explain it. 
And then in Israel's history, God gave the Ten Commandments. And that didn't work for the children of Israel. Before the 40 days was up, they had already... They'd already, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, disobeyed the first commandment. <clears throat> and they had other gods, built other gods. So Hebrews says this in the Old Testament sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every year. Because that was on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement every year, there was the animal sacrifice to atone not only for the people of Israel, but first of all, the high priest sacrificed an animal for himself and for his house. So in the Old Testament sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. When Jesus came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me. Why? Why does he say that? A body has, you have prepared for me. This body was unique. This was a body that God prepared for Jesus so that he could die. He took upon human form. All of us die. The angels don't die. Humanity dies. And he had a body that was capable of going into death. And the reason for that is that the penalty for sin is death. In order to pay the penalty, he must die. In order to die, he must be human. And yet, he was God, still a son of God. So the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do your will, O God. Imagine what that must have been for Jesus. Can you imagine? He came to do the will of God, and the will of God was that he was to suffer and die on a cross. And that he would taste what death was like. And he's the only one that has come out of death and is still alive. He is alive. The Son of God is still alive in heaven today. Do you, can, do you think of that at all? Well, as we walk our day-to-day -day life, that the Son of God is alive in heaven, the Savior, our Savior, is alive in heaven, I think our lives may be lived differently, possibly, if we realize that he is alive and where we are, he's with us and he's observing us from day to day. He was no ordinary man Jesus took on human flesh so that he could die and in dying he paid a ransom to free us from the power of sin and death. And he did this willingly. This wasn't a demand. This was planned before the foundation of the world that he would do this. And he came to do that. No one else was qualified. No one else was qualified. If any of us were to die for our sins, 
And we went into death, there's no possible way that we could come back to life again. But the one who never sinned, that death really had no power over because he had no sin, was able to come forth from the grave alive, having accomplished everything that God sent him to do, his beloved son. John writes, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. You see, at the present time we're dead in our trespasses and sins if we have not received Jesus as Savior. God views us as dead. You might be in this room today, but if you've never received Jesus, if you've never actually confessed your sins to God and asked for his forgiveness. God views you as dead in your trespasses and sins. But if you do believe God sent his only son, begotten son into the world that we might live through him, he gives us a life that's apart from the life in which we were born. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What a cost. The one who never sinned became sin for us. Contemplate on that for a moment. The one who deserved not to die. The one who was holy and just. But came willingly into this world as the son of God. In order that he might bear our sins so that we might be forgiven. Are you ignoring that fact? Do you continue to ignore that fact by not believing? I plead with you today, if that's your case, today is the day you need to make a choice. John writes in chapter 6, I have come down, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. This is God's promise to you. If you believe in him, you will present tense have eternal life. A couple of weeks ago I was in McDonald's. And I noticed a couple of young girls at the next table... And they had their Bibles out on the table, and they were conferring back and forth. I thought, well, this is encouraging, and it appeared to me as if one might be a mentor. So when I got up, I went over and spoke to them, and I said to the one girl, that, the only one that I could see, because I was sitting behind them, I said, it's nice to have a mentor. And she says, well, no, we mentor each other. Ah, nice to see you reading your Bibles. I did not know what their faith was, found out shortly. But the one girl turned to me and she said, this is the verse that I was reading this morning and we're memorizing scripture. I said, that's great. And she then began to tell me that, you know, someday we're going to have eternal life. I said, well, I beg to differ. Because if you believe on Jesus Christ, you will have, present tense, eternal life. 
It's not something you're going to work towards. You already have it. And when you have eternal life, his promise is, I will raise you up someday. There's a resurrection to come. You're going to be raised on the fact that you have believed. You've received eternal life, which means that it's eternal. I think that's what the Greek word says. I think it's eternal is eternal. Because it's eternal, these bodies that we're in, these mortal bodies, one day are going to die. And we will be raised on account of the fact that we've believed. So the Son of God came to take away our sins, to give us eternal life, and to raise us up at the last day. Now, I don't have time to go into others. There's many more scriptures that give us results of what this is. But Jesus also came to destroy the works of the devil. His number one job, if you will, was to fulfill the will of God that the question of sin that had plagued the world might be rectified. That was his number one thing. God sent his son with a purpose with an express purpose, and he knew that there was no other one that could qualify because we've all sinned, and he sent his son into the world to save sinners. But there's also a problem, and that is the devil appears on the scene, the serpent, in the opening chapters of Genesis, and this is the one that has sinned from the beginning. Lucifer didn't start out that way. He didn't start out that way. Along the way, at some point in time, he sinned, rebelled against God. And the indictment is he sinned from the beginning, prior to creation. So Jesus came to deal with this. John says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, but he, just as he is righteous, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And he did. But the devil continues to do havoc because he's not willing to submit to the fact that he's been defeated. And he's going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you know those that are taken in by that are the weak animals. The lion always seeks out the stragglers, the ones off on the side. The ones that don't know the scriptures, the ones that don't have a firm foundation on which to stand. And he's going after those. Don't be one of those. You need to know the scriptures. Because the deception that's coming in will be so strong that even if it was possible, the elect might be drawn away. Even those that are strong in the faith, we need to be those that are not out on the peripheral doing our own thing, but in the protection of the flock under the shepherd's care. Came to destroy works of the devil. That is all the devil's plans of wickedness.
and his control over the hearts of people. It's becoming more evident in the day in which we're living now. Men's minds, I think, they've lost them. Something's happened. People can't use critical thinking anymore in the simplest things. The minds have been darkened by the evil one. And these are the days in which we are living. And we need to be on our guard. We need one another. That's why we have a body that's been put together. We have one another. We don't all have all the answers. At least I don't. Maybe Sim does, but I don't have all the answers. I don't think he's going to admit that either. (laughs) We need each other. There's things that others see that we don't see. That's why God put us together as a body. And we're up against a battle. And that battle is the ancient enemy of our souls. God is out for your soul. But you might spend eternity with him. Satan is out to do everything he can to prevent that from happening. And he uses religion for it. Yes. Jesus' resurrection proves that he is the Son of God. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. By God raising him from the dead proves the fact that he was the Son of God. There were many as you read through the Gospels, that realized that this was the Son of God. There was something different about him. Some recognized and said, we've never heard anyone speak like this man before. This man is different. He's different because he's the Son of God. And God could trust him to accomplish his plan. He can't trust you and I to accomplish that plan. Even as believers, we still have the tendency to sin. Thank God that we have a Savior. Thank God for His grace that we have to draw on from day to day when we fail. God's grace is sufficient. So what are the implications for those of us who are believers? I've just picked out about four references here. 1 John 5 says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You say, well, what do you mean? I'm alive. Yes, we're all alive. We're born of Adam's race. We're alive. But the unsaved soul, God views as dead. The only way that you receive this life that John's talking about is by being born again. To be born again, you have to believe on the Son of God who loves you. And that He is able and willing to forgive your sins if you will, but confess them to Him. And you receive this life. And this is the life of the believer that is unstoppable. My goodness, 
If I look back through my lifetime, and all, my mind always goes back to my sister that I've spoken about that has been sick all of her years. <clears throat> Regardless of what this life throws at her, she has a life in her that's way beyond that. And she's able to withstand untold times of pain, pressure, discouragement. I mean, she was on morphine for 30 years. When you're in so much pain, granted, it'd be easy to give yourself an overdose, wouldn't it? If you could. She didn't. She's had life in her, a life that's beyond this life. The Christian life has nothing to do, in a sense, with this life. It's superior to this life. So when we go out into the world, we have a life to share with people that's above the life that they have in this world. And we can point them to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 1 John 5, 5 says, who is the one who is victorious and overcomes the world? It's the one who believes and recognizes the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to overcome the world. We all need to overcome the world. The only way we can do that is by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. John writes a lot about this. This is all from John's epistle. God lives us in us, and we are in Him. John writes, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him, and He in God. How do you explain that? In one sense, it's so difficult to explain apart from the fact that when you see someone who has just given their hearts to Jesus, their lives are changed completely. Something has transpired. It's because God himself has come to inhabit them. Those that looked at the disciples after the resurrection says they took note of them that they had been with Jesus in the beginning of Acts. What did they see? They saw something that wasn't normal. What they saw was Jesus Christ living within them. Can people see Jesus living us in us? Let us each challenge ourselves. I mentioned this before, and it's not to make anything of me, but this was the first time that it really took me by surprise. I was at a school in London. Uh, as a mature student, I was probably in my 40s. So most were in their teens and early 20s. But I got to know another fellow that was just three or four years younger than I am. I was in the dining hall one day, sitting by myself at a little round table, and he came along and he says, um, can I sit with you? And I said, certainly. I've told you this story before, but it's worth repeating. He had come from Romania. He had escaped under the reign of Ceausescu. He went into Austria, and then he went back in, brought his wife out, went back in and brought his two daughters out. And at this point of time, he's in Canada, and he's taking courses. And one day when we were sitting there having our lunch, he turned to me and he says, Dave, I saw Jesus here. And I'm beginning to think, what's he talking about? Um... <clears throat> He's a pretty conservative guy. I didn't know what to say. I says, John, well, okay, tell me. What did you see? 
Well, he says, when I saw you, I saw Jesus. Can people say that of you? I hope so. Does somebody have to ask you, are you a believer? That takes me back to a, a story that Charles Price told. He was on a train in India, you know, where they're all packed in like sardines. And he noticed a fellow close to him, and he thought, this fellow's got to be a believer. And he began to talk to him. And he says, it wasn't long when this fellow said to me, to Charles, he says, are you a believer? He says, oh, no, did he have to ask? Wasn't it obvious? Is it obvious that you're a believer when people bump into you? They see something different. I'm not unique. I was down walking at the dam one day. And I came upon a fellow with his camera, and I'm into photography. And I came from behind. I was just motor right on past him. And as I went up a little distance, he called out to me. So I stopped, turned around. Because I knew cameras, but talking to him about cameras. I said, why would you stop me? He says, well, I knew that I could talk to you. And he had some questions on his mind. See, this is the life that's inside the believer. I'm not unique. This can be the experience of everyone here that's a believer in Christ. In John chapter 5, John writes, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I'm going to point out something to you here. I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. This is the importance of reading every word of Scripture. Every word has an importance. I say to the hour is coming, and now is. Right now, Jesus said. The dead. What dead? These are those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. The dead are going to hear his voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. They'll receive this new life. But then he goes on to say the hour is coming. That's a different time. The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Which resurrection do you belong to? Resurrection of life? Or condemnation. If it's condemnation, it is because you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And you will be raised one day and you'll be judged in your sins. You'll be responsible before God. And God has given us His only begotten Son. What else do we need? Can you think of anything greater than God giving His own Son? The only one that was had the qualifications to come and die for our sins? If that is the case, what else do you need? What's your excuse for not giving your heart to Christ? Are you waiting for something greater to happen? I guarantee there's nothing greater is going to happen. God's given His very best, His one and only Son. 
So if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, I don't know who's here this morning. I know some of you. I don't know your spiritual walk. God knows. And there could be somebody that, that this is possible. They've stepped into a church for the first time in their life. And we need to make this message simple. Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He doesn't make it difficult. I mean, yes, there's other things included in this. We say, why don't you preach repentance? Well, if you're going to believe, repentance means to change your mind. Just to believe requires you to change your mind. Change your mind today. If you're here and you have never realized that the Son of God loves you so much that he came, give your heart to him today. He doesn't make it difficult. If you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession made unto salvation. It's a guarantee. God is the one that has written the guarantee. And the guarantee is signed by Jesus Christ. This is sure as ever, it was written in blood. For you, for me. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Put your faith and trust in him and you will find that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And there's many believers that need to hear that message. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, or the one who makes us righteous. Who is he that condemns? Is it Christ who died? Really? Would he condemn us? He died for us. I mean, give me a break. Do you not understand? It's Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He intercedes for us when we sin, and he supplies us with the grace that is needed. Just tell God, I'm sorry, I messed up again. And you'll find what the grace of God is. The grace of God is not understood by those that think that they're holy and righteous all the time. It's for those that fail. Anybody failed here? We've all failed. And when we fail, we come to know the grace of God is sufficient for all that we've done. Luke says, everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. This is a matter of fact. If you're here this morning and you've never made that commitment 
to receive Jesus as Savior. His, the promise here is, if you will ask God, he will, you will receive from Him. He's not going to hold it back because you didn't grow up in the right family. You didn't go to the right church or you didn't go to a church at all. If you ask and you seek, you will receive. He who seeks diligently will find. If you don't get your answer today, but you continue to seek and you want to know who is God, is this true, is this not? I need to verify it. Continue to seek. And if you continue to seek, you will find because God will reveal himself to you. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Continually knocking. God doesn't get tired of hearing of you knocking. Keep knocking if you're not sure. Keep knocking because he will open the door. He hears your knock. He knows your heart. I plead with you today, if you're not saved, give your heart to Christ. So the Son of God loved you, and He gave Himself for you. Can you say that He gave Himself for me? I trust you can today. You've been given the opportunity. I don't think I can make it much simpler. And if we're believers here today, we need to remind it of these basic things. At the end of the day, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, how many times we've flubbed it, God still loves us. He never quits loving us. 